Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We've used science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. <clears throat> but it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. <laughs> oh, we we decided to so start off. our our show today with with our rendition of that four forty four song, which is nothing but silence. <laughs> exactly, Todd. Do you know where bad rainbows go? Um, no, they go to prism, but it's a light uh, sentence. <laughs> oh, brother. I can't tell if I've just heard that one before or if that may have been one you've already used and I put on a compilation before. So. Uh, and prob- probably <laughs> both. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been doing Weight Watchers and uh, I actually lost a lot of weight, <clears throat> but just by wearing bread on my head. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's a new loaf hat diet. <laughs> no no boy that was dumb (laughs) well we were that that's two jokes for the the two weeks that we've been we've been off here one question that did come up in in oh before we start it is our eighth anniversary of doing this show what we started in our te- our first test was in like February, but our first yeah. show was in March of 2014. Wow! So that is crazy huh. oh. that we've been doing it this long. Good for us. And good for us. I know. Look at all the rewards we have gotten for it. Um, but uh, we so we're in a group chat with Brian. Speaking of a person we met through our show, and he asked a question that I've been really like chewing on just for fun. And it, he had a question of, you know, there are things outside the, the audio spectrum frequencies that humans can hear that exist. We just can't hear them. Doesn't it stand to reason that there are also things outside of the humans visible spectrum that exists. So he brought up, are there such things as, quote unquote, invisible solids where something exists and it's there, but we can't see it. So that is the entire conversation around dark matter. Okay. Because dark matter by definition of, and and we don't have the ability to detect it because it doesn't interact with anything. (laughs) And... And so we see things, excuse me, we see things because light hits it, reflects or refracts off of it, changing the color, bouncing the light a certain way, doing all those things. And so when I look at something that's flat black versus yellow, it's a different 
surface property that's bouncing that light off and depending on the light wave that gets to it and all that. Well, dark matter doesn't interact with anything. Like it doesn't have a charge. It doesn't have things bounce off of it. It doesn't refract them as they go through. And so we can't see it. It's invisible. And mathematically it exists. We can show that three quarters of the mass of a, uh, of a galaxy is unaccounted for and must exist hypothetically as a <laughs> substance that has gravity and that's it. Right. And so, right. Um, and so that would be a really great cr question for uh, doc Dr. Ethan Siegel. And, oh, that's true. And well, and I remember watching, there was some PBS documentary about, I think they're called gluons Yeah, and they are like something emitted from the sun that have like no weight, no mass. They don't interact with anything. They just shoot through the earth as if nothing was there. Right. And like the process of trying to measure something that we kind of guess is probably there doing something, but there's literally, yeah, like you said, no way to <laughs> right. physically interact with them or measure them in any way. That is so wild. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely mind bending. Wow. Well, uh, aside from that, science has given us some answers and that is the answer to uh, this weird rash thing that I've had oh. now for, for two months. I finally had, it, it never fully went away. And, and, and you know how much I enjoy scratching, like me and my, me and my back scratchers, like that I have everywhere and to having to deny myself of scratching, not just, just to make it feel nice, but also like when you itch is terrible. Like it is the worst. And so I finally had a zoom meeting and he's like, Oh, and I told him all the things I tried, which is most everything except for whatever the, the medicine in Zyrtec is. I didn't realize that Claritin, Allegra, and Zyrtec are all, all different actual medicines. They're not just like mm. the same medicine, mm. but in a different package, you know? Right. And so I'm trying that one and I'm still getting, and so, and so he, he threw out some name of something. And so I wrote that down. It was uh, dermatographia or something like that. And so I was like, oh, finally, I have answers that I can go research on my own or whatever. And so I Google it. And it's as if, like, for that definition, they relied on the Mark and Todd cast for the official, <laughs> the official definition, because it's just like, when your skin is kind of itchy, and when you touch it, it leaves <laughs> marks. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's all. And they're like, maybe try this. It'll go away. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so now science. I am I'm on, I'm on Zyrtec, which he told me to just like, to, you know, take two a day and then I get to the store, but all of all that they sell is the 24 hour kind. <laughs> okay. And so, and like on the back, they're like, don't take more than one. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like he never told me a dosage. He just told me what to take. And I'm like, well, I don't know who to believe. And I'm not going to schedule another zoom appointment six weeks from now to ask him that. So hopefully you can't die from taking two Zyrtec <laughs> in a day. So we will see, but yeah, I'm still getting those crazy marks on my arm, but right now, it won't Stigmata. it'll it won't itch more and become like hot so that's good i guess 
I I think we should sell out time, you know, for people to gaze upon the markings on your skin or something and make it a religious event. Maybe I'll do, maybe I'll try that for, um, the, 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 uh, episode image is all scratch Mark and Todd cast <laughs> lightly ever so delicately into my hand uh, arm. And then it will be vibrantly red. Perfect. All right. Well, one last thing before we kind of get into some news. Um, I forget what I was watching, uh, some YouTube, uh, video about nightmare on elm street 2 were you a big fan of the nightmare on elm street fan uh movies not or not okay I, I don't think i watched them while i was growing up at all okay so i had seen definitely when i was growing up the first one and then i ended up like renting over the years the the all of the other ones and watched most of them a couple of times most of them are terrible like all of those movies are but i was watching some youtube video on nightmare on elm street 2 and if you have any kind of working familiar familiarity with the nightmare on elm street series number two is like a complete kind of outlier it doesn't star anyone from the first one except for freddie like freddie's powers are different it's more of a possession movie and it's like kind of a humorous tone and it has a super super gay subtext and like viewing it now it's like not even subtext it is like <laughs> everything about the movie is like gay times a million and like you watch it in today's eyes and you're like how and like the movie on its own isn't all that great and like the fans don't like it because it deviates too much and the tone so blah 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 but the star of that movie was this guy named um Matt something or other is up and coming. He's, he's one of those dreamy early eighties guys that you would have been told like his picture I'm sure was on your wall somehow. Next to was like, Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, yeah. Cause he was like a model too. So just like imagine that beachy, sunny, California, blue eye, blonde hair, you know, that type of guy. And um, so the movie comes out and it's a flop and only like, we were kind of living in that time where even the director like wasn't aware kind of a, of what he was doing and like none of the reviews were about this gay subtext except for the village voice were like dude this movie is like hella gay and so like then fans kind of turned on it and it was like right in the mid 80s where the AIDS crisis is coming out gay people are like even more shunned and like feared right. and all of that and if you're an actor in Hollywood like that's a death sentence for your career is to be known as gay because then no one's going to buy you yep. a straight and they're afraid they're making <clears throat> you take blood tests for AIDS before yep. you go for so like all of this stuff so this actor happened to be gay in real life as well and so that got wrapped into it and he leaves acting like completely even though he's like super promising career is like his first his first gig was doing some broadway show with Cher and like traveling the world with that and going to Cannes and like then he gets this movie and then he drops out of acting like forever and like disappears and so in 2010 they're making uh, a commemorative box set for the nightmare series and they're putting together this amazing documentary called never sleep again okay and it's like four or five hours long it's all on youtube which is and it's really really good if you're and i'm not super even into horror movies or the industry but i just kind of like it as a cultural thing and so from that aspect it's really good but that documentary ended up finding him on the side of sleeping on the side of a road in mexico and so since then he's now 
kind of come to terms with a lot of things. He was mad at the screenwriter because the screenwriter, when they were asking him like, dude, what's up with all this gay subtext stuff? And he's like, what do you mean? I don't know what you're talking about. And I want to save my career and not be whatever. And, and so since then, like did that for years and years and years and said, well, this main actor guy was just so gay that came through. it gave the whole movie up, even though there's like literally a, a locker room scene where some guy gets like stripped and flogged with like a little whip. And like, it is so gay. It's crazy. But um, so the screenwriter always denied it. But since I think 2010, when that documentary came out and now the movie is being embraced as kind of a, you know, a it's in the queer canon. It's embraced. There are like drag shows about it's like it's becoming this thing. And so now that screenwriter's like, yeah, I, I meant it all along or whatever. <laughs> well, mean meanwhile, this actor's like life was destroyed right. by like whatever. And so that all leads me to this uh documentary that I watched last night called Scream Queen, Scream, comma, Queen. Okay. Uh, which is about Mark Hatton or Mark Hatton or something like that. His name is Mark, the Mark Patton, the actor from this movie and his story about like what happened to him through this movie becoming this thing. And like, there's all these like really interesting twists and turns. And then it all culminates with him confronting the screenwriter saying like, and the screenwriter is like, you know, what? it's kind of no big deal. Can't we let bygones be bygone? You know, all this. Uh, yeah, there he is. Isn't he the type of dreamboat that <laughs> yeah. you would have been all for? <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and so he confronts the screenwriter and the screenwriter kind of does that white people thing when they're confronted with racism about like, why are we still talking about that? Isn't that just making it worse or whatever? And we had a very, president. yeah, very, it's water under the bridge. And the actor very rightfully so was like, well, it's it's fun for you to say that that the screenwriter is not gay. Um, and looking at it from that aspect, then like clearly the movie is just like wildly homophobic because it's a possession movie about Freddie gayness possessing this teenage boy who keeps trying to like control it to do that. And ultimately it like ends up destroying everything or whatever. Wow. So it's like because we were in that gay panic of like yeah. gayness will drive you insane and make you right. dangerous and like all of this and but the actor was like you know it's it's one thing for you to say that but like i am still get calling the f word every single day on social media like this wow. is my life you made this my life and so it, it's a really fascinating documentary especially if you really like um the nightmare you don't need to yeah, yeah. love the nightmare series to do it um, that'll be interesting uh, yeah, yeah it's yeah it's called scream comma queen and some of the i know i know the segment is going long um but they were doing there were the talking heads in the documentary of the different people involved with it and a lot of them were pretty close up like kind of zoom zoom call length and there was clearly some big poster behind it and you can see it was like a guy laying down or something and like it it just struck me as like so familiar for some reason and i was like well it couldn't be what i think it is because like that's a deep cut that like people wouldn't recognize and it finally toward the end of the movie they have a wider angle and the poster the working poster for this because it's no longer the poster and it's not on google 
is a parody of Madonna's Truth or Dare poster, which is her kind of laying down on a bed and she's wearing this like this black dress or something like that and kind of has her one hand between her knee and the other one she's kind of laying down on. Iconic, if you ask me, but like <laughs> it's not a very, it's not a hugely well-known picture of Madonna, but it was exactly that poster and it even said in bed with Mike pa- with Mark or Mark whatever Patton. his name is Mark Patton, which and Truth or Dare is called in bed with Madonna and every other country except for ours. And but what I realized is that they literally just pasted his head on her body oh. because I could tell from and they must have run into rights issues or whatever. And and on his Freddie's arm is also kind of embracing him yeah, from behind I, I or whatever, in, in <laughs> which is really cool. Even the, the ending poster is based on that, but it's not the one for one ripoff. And I was like, you got me, Mark Patton or Mike Patton, whatever your name is. <laughs> Way to go on that poster. But so, yeah, Scream Queen. And if you are interested in there's the Never Sleep Again documentary, which is on YouTube. And there's another like eight hour one about the Friday the 13th series called Crystal Lake Memories. That's also on YouTube that I'm not even a huge, really a fan of that series. But that that documentary is really good, too. It just goes movie by movie, how it got made, what happened, all right. of that stuff. So do check those out. Well, should we move Fun. on to some news? Yeah. All right. Well, this Saturday marked the 80th anniversary of Franklin Roosevelt's Executive Order 9066, which legalized the forced removal and mass incarceration of anyone with Japanese ancestry. In 1941, months before the Pearl Harbor bombing, which I didn't realize, I guess in my head it was after the Pearl Harbor bombing, uh, the special representative of the State Department, Curtis D. Munson, was ordered to gather intelligence on Japanese-American disloyalty. And he concluded that they posed very little threat. He said there is no Japanese problem on the coast. But Roosevelt and every and other U.S. leaders ignored the report amid rising anti-Japanese sentiment. Between 1942 and 1945, the U.S. incarcerated nearly 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry in camps across the country, including the Amachi site known as the Granada War Relocation Center. So this story is in service of that uh, center becoming a national historic site. this uh, is a quote from one of the survivors. He said, we were forced from our homes, tagged like animals, and sent to the desolate prairies of southeast Colorado, where we lived in trauma, with a constant presence of armed guards, barbed wire, and suffering too large to describe in one correspondence. It was like a prison, obviously. You had to pledge allegiance every morning. Liberty and justice for all, said Fuga, uh, Fukagami, who was one of the um, one of the detainees. So many of us grew up feeling ashamed of our Japanese ancestry. Our nation still has a long way to go to learn from this mistake. And our uh, community, both old and young, continues to suffer from anti-Asian hate crimes. So adding Amachi to the national park system would allow us to protect a physical and sacred reminder of the impact of Japanese American incarceration. So that is that. Uh, Yeah, we... <clears throat> on our trip south not too long ago, a couple of months ago, we stopped by one of the internment camps in the middle of oh, the wow. desert, in the desert. And you know, so what slabs of what yeah, what do they have? What is what is still surviving? There? Place markers mostly, and they've okay. they've recreated like a guard tower 
and and everything but all all of that is not original uh basically there's some i mean it's just the desert slabs. it's not like yeah. there's a yeah yeah concrete wow. slabs where the foundations of buildings were and okay yeah wow wow um <laughs> can you be healed by a sound frequency well, from sound baths to TikTok, a debate gently rages. So I flagged this because it sounded that. fascinating. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, it was behind a paywall. So I said, <laughs> I guess we'll never know. For the past 80 odd years, the standard tuning of music has been 440 hertz. But what if the frequency of 432 hertz is more aligned with nature's natural patterns? Some healers and musicians say that listening to specific sound frequencies can reduce stress and even detoxify cells, but they can't decide. They can't agree on which frequency. So oh, um, they're going to start selling frequencies. Totally. And I run across this a lot on TikTok, and I'm I'm kind of a power user of TikTok now. <laughs> uh, and there'll be somebody either talking about a tone. You know, you need to listen to this sound, and then. Uh, then your life will change or just they are playing a sound and telling you to listen to it to uh, change your life. And then there's right. uh, the live stream of the lady who has the crystal bowls. Uh, the singing <laughs> yes. <bowl>. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, I was uh, thinking of those. I mean, and those are yeah. ancient like meditation devices. And yeah. in that way, it makes sense that it does help kind of... Uh, wow. <laughs> I was going to say align the body, but I mean, in a way, <laughs> yeah. if you are all being vibrated at one yep. pace, it does, it does do that. But uh, I think in a less mystical way, like as soon as that article took a turn into detoxifying, <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was <laughs> mentally pulling the ripcord, but <laughs> Uh, also, no, there there is a video of, nope. uh, and I haven't watched it for obvious reasons, but it is a like, it's a YouTube video that always pops up in my in my recommended for some reason about remastered 4K brown note sound or exactly. <laughs> and I'm like not clicking on that. <laughs> uh, everybody's got an angle that they're trying, yes. to, trying to sell. Also, unexplained injuries similar to previous Havana syndrome cases afflicted U.S. officials on the White House grounds. So high-ranking Homeland Security officials in the Trump administration say they were overcome with feelings of vertigo, confusion, and memory loss while on White House grounds and in their Washington, D.C. area homes. The incidents and symptoms they describe are similar to the Havana syndrome, that they have been report that has been reported by American diplomats in foreign countries since 2016. Mark Lenzi, a State Department official who worked at the U.S. consulate in China, told 60 Minutes in 2019 about the long-term symptoms that he experienced. The symptoms were progressively getting worse with me, he said. My headaches were getting worse. The most concerning symptom for me was the memory loss, especially short-term memory loss. And then he said, my headaches were getting worse. The most concerning symptom for me was the memory loss, especially short-term <laughs> memory loss. Uh, you got me with that one. I was like, oh, he must have pulled some more. 
pulled another article from somewhere <laughs> thoroughly researching the mark and todd cast to make sure i didn't miss anything <laughs> nicely done what's interesting to me i guess is that how like obviously this is unexplained obviously this is something visually they can't see or or once again cannot measure. maybe it's, it's dark, dark matter, matter. <laughs> but how they continually are assuming that it is sound related i mean that every every story of the havana syndrome has been mm. like is this a mysterious sound which makes me think they either have a clue to point them that way or we ourselves are obviously experimenting with this and know that these are the effects of doing something like More that likely yeah because especially yeah because i mean vertical confusion and memory loss i mean that could be a million things causing that to happen um so yeah it's super fascinating especially that we have been reporting on this ever since forever it broke in 2016 so this one is a little more dense but science uh, scientists make breakthrough in warping time at the smallest scale ever scientists at jila which i'm not sure what that uh is stands for but it's a joint operation between the national institutions of Standards and Technology, NIST, and the University of Colorado Boulder have measured time dilation at the smallest scale ever using the most accurate clocks in the world. They showed that the clocks located just a millimeter apart, about the width of, of a pencil tip, showed slightly different times due to the influences influence of Earth's gravity. Uh, his colleagues have been pushing the frontiers of timekeeping and general relativity for several years by designing ever more accurate atomic clocks, which I didn't I, are hard for me to understand. The role of the pendulum in the atomic clocks is played by shifting frequency of electrons in atoms that are carefully arrayed in lattices designed to control their chaotic energy and motion. So do you know what that means? <laughs> so they're they're able to create a very uh pure substrate of a material like a crystal lattice of you know silicon or or something uh that has uh in a crystal lattice all of the atoms are the same uh or all the molecules are the same depending on what the the situation is and so they have created a uh, a substrate that they're able to measure the pendulum or the the spinning electrons of this material and use that as the metronome um and saying yeah and so if i've got one substrate to the left and one that's uh one millimeter further from the gravity source then we can measure those two and say, well, gravity has affected this one that's further away less. And so uh, the time would be off over a period of time. They could measure right. and see that the they're no longer in sync. But okay. maybe all of the atoms in the first one are in sync with themselves and the second one all in sync with themselves. But the two have... Uh, veered off of course from each other because of the the effect of gravity okay okay so yeah that apparently is what the atomic clock was but there are timepieces are so accurate they're only losing one second over 15 billion years um previously they've been able to use the clocks to measure time dilation at two points uh 
with a difference in elevation of 33 centimeters, which is roughly a foot. After a decade of fine tuning, they have managed to track frequency shifts um, of cold strontium atoms. So that must be their metric of the thing that's vibrating or whatever. So they have a millimeter scale effects of dilation, which is just really crazy. The team managed to keep these atoms dancing in perfect unison for 37 seconds, which I don't know what that means, setting a new record for the duration of quantum mm. coherence or the state in which behavior of these atoms can be predicted. Mm. Huh. Well, yeah. well, there's that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the the bigger point is that these clocks are getting more and more accurate and they'll be able to use them to actually see the waves of atoms across the curvature of space-time where classical and quantum worlds clash and once we are kind of able to start doing that we'll be have they're really trying to prove and disprove the general theory of relativity on things that we can't do now and so these accurate clocks are uh, giving us endless ways to hopefully be able to deal with some of the things like dark matter and like all of these other things that we're trying to measure in space. So when does the theory of relativity become the law of relativity? Well, I, I'm not, sh I'm not sure because I'm stupid and I don't know the difference <laughs> between theories and laws, but I mean, gravity is still a theory. And so, like, I don't know when that mm. becomes a law either. And so maybe maybe one of our I mean, shows got, should be on. We've got laws of thermodynamics. Yeah. And we have. Theory of gravity. Is it? Huh. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty we'll have, sure. We'll have, to, we'll have to do a little deep dive into that. As I do that right now, is why don't you take that next story, <laughs> Mark? Perfect. Um, so before I get to that one, I've got another one I'm injecting. So. There have been two new world records set for lightning. Oh, yeah. So the uh, World Meteorological Organization, MO, <laughs> said today that the new world record holder for longest single lightning flash took place Ooh. over the southern United States uh, has been broken in... Uh, the, the last one was set in 2020. The flash lit up the sky from near Houston to southeastern Mississippi. Holy Toledo. This part, Ohio. <clears throat> this part of the U.S. is a known lightning hotspot, and the record for the longest single lightning flash is now 477.2 miles. The new record is 60 kilometers longer than the previous record. First, they give it to us in miles and then tell us about the, how many difference. In how, many, how many Delawares is that? Many, exactly. Uh, set in Brazil and verified two years ago. The second new world record for the greatest duration of lightning took place over Uruguay, Uruguay and northern Argentina. And... Um, the new record is 17.102 seconds. It says 17 second long single bolt of lightning. That not is multiple. insane. So yeah. I'm sure it'll fork out and do all the things, but it never broke uh, from that original bolt of lightning. Both That's of these extremes events were cloud to cloud lightning flashes taking several thousand feet above the ground and there is no danger to us on earth's surface 
how on earth so to speak are we measuring this gotta be satellites gotta be well uh, yeah i I don't know well i guess i guess i'll trust them the eye in the sky Uh, well mark hold on a second Uh, this just in on the mark and todd cast news desk between a law and a theory is gravity a theory uh, or law? Well, it says, well, first of all, this 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 article from Wonders of Physics mansplains to me. Well, first of all, <laughs> it is an always acting force that one can feel. Second, it is both a theory and a law. The law of gravity calculates the amount of attraction. Oh, well, it doesn't tell me why. Well, the market podcast will have to go back into the... <laughs> into the research phase i guess to finish that out but i guess it's both a theory and a law hmm. huh. well all right well speaking of theories and laws <laughs> uh, a priest used one wrong wrong word during baptisms and now the church says thousands <laughs> are invalid so a catholic priest in phoenix arizona has resigned from his position uh, after a church investigation found that he had been incorrectly performing baptisms over his 20-year career. He was being too inclusive. As he poured <laughs> the holy water during the baptisms he performed, the reverend would say, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But Father Arango misstated one word. We baptize should have been I baptize <laughs> and getting the word wrong nullified all of the rituals he performed using that language over 20 years. Said these people missing the complete point of what <laughs> baptism is symbolically <laughs> and that we could be a royal we, it could be a me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. <laughs> the issue with using we is that. It is not the community that baptizes a person. Rather, it is Christ and him alone who presides at all of the sacraments. And so it is Christ Jesus who baptizes. I do like he said, if you were baptized using the wrong words, that means your baptism is invalid and you are not baptized. He wrote to a message to his permissioners. <laughs> oh, all these. I years. mean... He resigned. I mean, come on, people. Like, what is happening here? Um, hmm, yeah. Anyway, so well, a couple, couple little short, a sh- a short story that kind of encap- encapsulates the bigger picture, and that's the "Let's Go Brandon" crypto coin turns into a do- total dumpster fire. Its value of <laughs> the value of all three hundred and thirty trillion coins totals just a few thousand dollars. That represents a 99.5% decline over the last 30 days. So basically, I think what we're seeing happen in real time, which is kind of nice that it, I feel like it's happened rather quickly in this space that we see, we'll have a, another story about NFTs coming up, but NFTs and cryptocurrencies, I think, and, and blockchain technology, whatever, all of that will have a completely different application in the yeah. future. And like all of this stuff is just so. We have this discussion at work all the time. Currently, crypto is a technology without a need. And oh, there you go. Cryptocurrency is MLMs for bros. Uh, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, the, the whole farsity of NFTs and yeah. uh, it's it's uh, people are making money. There's a there's a scant yeah. few of people who make a butt ton of money. And well, I, and I I, I didn't see any of them. Who is doing big things with crypto and yeah, NFTs. I think about. I think that I think about that every now and then, but I mean, even the amount of, I didn't see any of them, but celebrities that are selling them in Super Bowl commercials yep. do you, to use crypto and all that. But anyway, Matt buyer Damon. beware, Matt, da- Matt Damon. <laughs> well, in good news, scientists have possibly cured HIV in a woman for the first time. So um, it has been done with a couple male patients, but building on that past success, as well as its failures, the scientists use cutting edge stem cell transplant methods that they expect will expand the pool of people who could receive similar treatment to uh, several dozen uh, annually. Their patients stepped into a rarefied club that includes three men whom scientists have cured or very likely cured of HIV. Uh, researchers also know of two women who own immune system, whose own immune systems have quite extraordinarily apparently vanquished the virus. So an amazing, um, not, I mean, not just in the last two years, what we've been able to do with COVID medications and vaccines, but in the last 30 years, I mean, speaking, uh, HIV and AIDS play a huge part of the story of that Mark, uh, Hatton guy who was the actor in, in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, um, cause it's against the backdrop of that in the eighties, just seeing where we're able to, where we are now with what the death sentence it was back then. And even, I mean, even what we were able to do in the meantime with people like Magic Johnson and other people who have been living with, with AIDS and living with HIV that have, have been able to live productive lives, even though we haven't found the cure yet, but this just being another step in, in a, in a great series of steps to eradicate that terrible, terrible disease. So Mark, why don't you tell us about chimps? Chimps. Chimpanzees have been seen performing first aid on themselves and each other. So chimpanzees with open wounds snag an insect from under leaves or branches, whip the bug into their mouths. The chimps, rather than swallowing those bugs, apply the stunned insect to their injury, delicately moving it around the wound's surface with their lips or fingertips. Between November 2019 and 2021, the study authors noted 76 cases of male and female Luongo chimps treated an open wound with an insect. Injuries tend to occur when chimps fight amongst each other or or attack other groups. And in three of those cases, the chimps applied insect (laughs) poultices, poultices, uh, not to their own injuries, but to other groups, group members' wounds, a clear sign of pro-social behavior among these apes, said Simon Pika, a cognitive biologist with a university in Germany. <laughs> oh, the only reason I kept that whole sentence is was to hear you <laughs> pronounce Osnabrück. that university. Osnabrück. Osnabrück uh, University in Germany. Two of the, the three instances involved unrelated apes. So the newly documented behavior among these long go chimps can be classified as another expression of empathy. Yeah. Interesting that, and they do have to figure out how to measure if what they're doing 
works? Like, is it healing them faster? Is it bringing them relief and stuff like that? But yeah, really interesting. Put a bug on it. Put a (laughs) bug. Lick it and put a bug on it. (laughs) Well, this this story I I flagged weeks ago, and I think has changed since then because when I flagged this this was when they were going to have to like disassemble a bridge to allow Jeff Bezos' mega yacht to pass through. Uh, So I don't know what ended up happening, but there was a plan for 3,000 Dutch people to throw rotten eggs at his yacht as it went by. So I thought that was, I would give a shout out to my Dutch, but Dutch brethren there back in their homeland. So, um, Well, scientists detect new movement in three sisters volcano using equipment to monitor volcanic activity has detected short bursts of tiny earthquakes. Tori Amos is is (laughs) performing at three sisters with her tiny earthquakes uh, around a 12 mile area where the ground has been lifting at a faster pace. John Major, a scientist in charge of the Cascades Volcano Observatory, said the active activity is likely coming from pulses of magma moving about four miles underground. There is no imminent threat, he said. Our interpretation is that it's probably related to ongoing small inputs of magma deep underground. The last time Three Sisters erupted, I always forget about Three Sisters, maybe because you can't really see them from here. Right. Although if you're in the right place, I can see the tip of one uh, on my drive home. Uh, The last time they erupted was about 2,200 years ago. Um, Those three volcanoes, North Sister, Middle Sister, and South Sister. Like, we've named the tram to OMSI, like, 12 different names, just, like, to honor different things. And this is what we do for, like, three impressive mountains is just North Sister, Middle Sister, and South Sister. I find it interesting they, they, they said it this way, we're constructed between 120,000 and 50,000 years ago, which I mean, I guess, but formed wouldn't formed be a more forged by earth for <laughs> by Vikings forged by Vikings Made by the hand of God. <laughs> so yeah, there is no, no threat. There is nothing to see here uh, as far as North middle and South sister are concerned. And lastly, Money that won the millennia, the Melania Trump NFT auction came from the creators of the projects themselves. Oh, I don't. Do you have a Wawa noise over there, Handy? Do you have a any? A, there we go. Yeah. A series of blockchain transactions shows that the cryptocurrency used to purchase Trump's non-fungible token came from a wallet that belongs to those who originally listed it for sale. Um, was bought for $185,000 three weeks ago. Uh, The collection titled Head of State was one of many planned auctions Trump said she would release at a regular interval when she allowed, uh, announced the launch of her NFT venture in December. So once again, like our other Let's Go Brandon token marks another thing that I think we've seen in most NFTs where the creators themselves are buying it to drum up a market uh, need and want and um, drive up the prices. So I think I think the, the days, how, I think the days of, high profile nfts are kind of already over mm-hmm. you yeah, think maybe i mean uh, i know like a lot of low profile like youtube type creators are probably going to still try to do them but i mean 
it's been such, it's, it's like a fever broke this last two months or whatever with yeah. so many stories and like YouTube, like a lot of the cha- commentary channels I watch are just nothing about like the apes and like all of this different stuff. And like, I think most people are already aware that it's, it's a thing that is not uh, for what are they, for entertainment purposes, not for investment, not for investment advice. Yep. So once again, buyer beware. Wow. Oh, <sighs> anything, anything else to add before we dive into a topic? I don't think so. No. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of start off with the backstory of, of what I'll be talking about or, or yeah, the backstory of what we'll be talking about. And I'm going to have you kind of pop in and, and, and guess what, what the topic is. And, and, um, it's about the beginning of the Montgomery, uh, the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. And it is the story of an African-American, uh, woman who was sitting on the bus and, Back then, the South was deeply segregated and the Jim Crow laws were in full effect and uh, not just from not just from things like uh, water fountains and stuff like that, but for doctors and for shopping and for buses. uh, Primarily, Uh, the young black woman was sitting and the bus started to fill up and a white woman came and there was gasp, no seats for this white woman to sit at. And so the bus driver said to this uh, girl, you and your four friends must move to the back of the bus. And three of the girls did and one did not. Um, then that girl eventually was arrested and convicted. And so, Mark, who am I talking about? I, I feel like you want me to say Rosa Parks. I uh, do want you to say that. But, but are you too informed? I, I've heard in, that whenever wrote the Rosa Parks discussion comes up. If you read in the comment section, there's always somebody who's like, but so-and-so did something, you know, just before that. And so, yes. I, and I never followed through with that, but I, yeah. but I know that Rosa Parks definitely got the, the hype, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I don't <laughs> think she was the absolute, uh, you know, ground zero uh, or uh, patient zero for that uh, action. But uh, who was that? Right, right. It was Rosa Parks. No, <laughs> wouldn't that be funny if I was? <laughs> no, it was a uh, it was a teenage uh, girl named Claudette Colvin. And much like you, I'd kind of always seen this mentioned when uh, the Rosa Parks story kind of comes uh, comes up and people speak about that. And I happened to hear about it on, a, on another podcast uh, this week and thought, well, this is a, a good time to dive into what is yeah. that backstory. And so her name was Claudette Colvin, and she was born in Montgomery, Alabama in 1939. Um, she was raised by her great aunt and uncle in a poor Black neighborhood. Uh, despite being a good student, she had difficulty connecting with her peers uh, due to the grief of the fact that she lost her sister after um, losing, after her parents gave her to her uh, aunt and uncle. So clearly dealing with a lot of grief and trauma. Um, she was a member of the NAACP Youth Council, where she formed a close relationship with her mentor, Rosa Parks. Ah. So 
this all happened in 1955, and she was a teenager uh, at Brooklyn, uh, Booker T. Washington High School in Montgomery. The, ma- uh, the majority of the customers of the bus were African-American, but they were discriminated against, obviously, because of the segregated seating. Uh, she was a member of the Youth Council and had beginning been uh, learning about the civil rights movement in her segregated school. This was obviously pre, pre-integration, so the Black schools were still... Um, uh, uh, segregated on their own. She was returning home from school and on March 2, 1955, and she sat in the colored section about two seats away from an emergency exit. Uh, if the bus became so crowded that all the, quote, white seats in front of the bus were filled, uh, the African-Americans were supposed to get up from their seats and make room for the whites, move further back and stand in the aisle. A white woman got on the bus and was left standing. Everyone gasped with their pearls. A white woman was left standing. And so the bus driver commanded Colvin and three other black women in her row to move to the back. The other three moved, but another black woman, Ruth Hamilton, who was pregnant, got on the bus and sat next to Colvin. The bus driver looked at the women in his mirror um, and Colvin recalled him saying, quote, he asked us both to get up. Miss Hamilton, the pregnant lady, said she was not going to get up and that she had paid her fare and that she didn't feel like standing. And so I, Colvin said, told him I was not going to get up either. So the bus driver said, if you are not going to get up, I am going to call the police. And she kept saying, history, uh, this is Claudette Colvin saying, history kept me stuck to my seat. I felt the hand of Harriet Tubman pushing down on one shoulder and Sojourner Truth pushing down on the other. For not moving, she was handcuffed, arrested, and forcibly removed from the bus. She kept shouting that her constitutional rights were being violated. She said, I made my personal statement, one that Rosa didn't make and probably couldn't have made, which we'll get into that later. Mine was the first cry for justice and a loud one. This was nine months before Rosa Parks, which again kind of shows us even though we do learn our history we we didn't learn our history about who Rosa Parks was until much too late. Then we learned about Rosa Parks. Then we learned that there's even more to that story. Right. Um, so the reason we hear about Rosa Parks and not uh, Claudette Colvin is because at the time, well, there's a couple reasons. The NAACP, um, let's see, believed... So, and so for the longest time, Claudia, her name wasn't even known until even more recently because, you know, all the attention went to Rosa Parks and that was kind of purposeful. Um, and it came out in NPR that the, um, the, they believe, the NAACP believe that Rosa Parks would be a better figure for a test case for integration because she was an adult, she had a job, and she had a middle-class appearance. Her maturity, being able to handle being in the middle of a uh, political and potential controversy was deemed much better because also Claudette uh, became pregnant, which and there are some reports that it was um, a statutory rape situation that the um, the father was much older than her. But regardless, the they didn't want the face of this integration to be a pregnant teenager who was you know right. still young okay. and 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 one of those people um claudia said her mother my mother told me to be quiet about what i did she told me to let rosa be the one white people aren't going to bother rosa like they would me she didn't see this uh 
Colvin didn't receive the same attention Parks did for a number of reasons. She did not have, quote, good hair. She was not fair-skinned. She was a teenager, and she got pregnant. The leader of the civil rights movement tried to keep her uh, keep up appearances and make the, quote, most appealing processor uh, being the one being the most seen. Hmm. Um, when Colvin did refuse to stand up or get up from the bus, she was thinking about a school paper she had written that day about the local customs that prohibited blacks from using the same dressing rooms in order to try and close in a department store. She said, we couldn't try and close. You had to take brown paper bag, uh, brown paper bag and draw a diagram of your foot and take that to the store to get shoes. Um, Referring this to the segregation on the bus and the white woman, she said she couldn't sit in the same row as us because that would mean we were as good as her. And uh, in addition, the police officer she took her to the station made sexual comments about her body and took turns guessing her bra size throughout the ride. Keep in mind, this is a 15-year-old teenager. Um, she was charged with disturbing the peace, violating segregation laws, and battering and assaulting the police officer, even though those clearly didn't happen. And she was convicted on all three of those charges in juvenile court. She applied to the uh, appeal to the family courts in Montgomery County to have her juvenile uh, record expunged. The judge ordered that the juvenile record be expunged and destroyed. When do you think this was, Mark, that they finally ordered the her record to be expunged and destroyed? 2015. December 2021. Oh, Two months ago, stating that Colvin's refusal had, quote, been recognized as a courageous act on her behalf and on behalf of the community of affected people. So after she was arrested, um, she, together with the um, with uh, women named Aurelia Browder, Susie McDonald, Mary Louise Smith and Janetta Rose, she was one of five plaintiffs in a court called Browder versus Gale. And in that court case, Colvin described her arrest, saying I just kept saying the bus driver had no civil right. This was my constitutional right. You have no right to do this. And I just kept blabbing about things and never stopped. Um, that was worse than stealing, you know, talking back to a white person. So Browder versus Gale, that case made its way through the course on June 50, uh, June 5, 1956, the district for the Middle District of Alabama issued a ruling declaring the state of Alabama and the Montgomery laws of a segregational being unconstitutional. The Supreme Court summarily affirmed the district court on uh, November 13, 1956, and one month after that, uh, but one month after that, the Supreme Court declined to reconsider and uh, kept and made the Alabama end the segregated bus policy permanently. So the boycott did work and uh, using Rosa Parks for for the PR purpose uh, did end up working. But again, Claudette Colvin was uh, largely forgotten. Um, after the court case in 1958, uh, Claudette Colvin went to New York because she had difficulty finding and keeping work following her participation in the court case. Um, it's notable too that Rosa Park also left Montgomery in 1957 to go to Detroit. Um, Colvin said she was branded a troublemaker uh, in many, by many of her communities. So she withdrew from college and struggled in a local environment, but she uh, moved to New York uh, with one of her sons and uh, with her older sister, became a nurse in 1969, and she worked there for 35 years. 
So she said that even though she was largely forgotten, she said she's not angry that she didn't get more recognition. Rather, she's disappointed. She felt that uh, as if she was, quote, getting her Christmas in January rather than on the 25th. She said, I don't think there, this is really interesting. I don't think there's any room for more icons. I think that history has only room for enough. I think that history only has room enough for certain uh, like how many icons can you choose? So I think to compare history, most say Columbus discovered America and it was already populated, but they don't say that. Um, so it's basically she's saying there's not enough room for everyone to be recognized and we kind of choose like Columbus. I guess we'll just right. say that he did it. <laughs> um, in the year 2000, Troy State University opened a Rosa Parks Museum uh, in to honor the town's place. Um they, uh, Roy White, who is in charge of most of the project, asked Colvin if she would like to appear in a video to tell her story, but Colvin refused. She said, quote, they've already called it the Rosa Parks Museum, so they've already made up their mind what the story is. <laughs> right. So her role has not gone completely recognized. In 2017, um, Montgomery passed a resolution honoring Colvin. Uh, she gets a Claudette Colvin Day in in Montgomery, she's um, been recognized as an early fit soldier in our civil rights, and they did not want this opportunity to go by without declaring March 2 as Claudia Colvin Day to thank her for her leadership into the modern day um, movement. I know people have heard her name, but I just thought we should have a day to celebrate, they said. Um, in 2019, a statue of Rosa Park was unveiled in Montgomery, Alabama, and four granite markers were also unveiled near the statue on the same day to honor the four plaintiffs of the Browder versus Gale case, including Claudette Colvin. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting, and because a lot of social change, I mean, and not to be crass, but is about PR. It is about the information you use in order to break down people's barriers of receiving information and as many barriers as you can remove the better your chances are for a victory and that often is or or can be crass or it can be commercial and if done wrongly it can be bad but it's not i don't know if it's inherently bad I, right. It's inherently human, I think. It, yeah, I, yeah, I would say that. Um, it, we we like to have things in nice little tidy boxes. Yeah, and easy. And and I, sadly, as white people, we need stuff spoon-fed us in yep. non-threatening ways because we are constantly threatened by any new information around us. And that, from a human standpoint, makes us defensive and wanting to not learn or not give ourselves emotionally to something that we might not identify with or, or whatever that case may be. But Claudette Colvin, um, that is her story. And what, wow. uh, and that I was interesting too, that she did work like directly. Her mentor was Rosa Parks and for her to be that, that near that situation right. and, and watch that develop. But Wow, more, more really people, cool. and I guess, I guess to kind of tie that very inappropriately, I'm hand-fistedly back to Mark Happen or Haddon or whatever his. Why can't I remember Hatton. his name? Mark Hatton. Mark Hatton. Mark Hatton from. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Mark Patton. 
Patton from um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, how he was personally saddled with this for so long until society caught up and began to celebrate his role in it. Like often these people are thrown out as, as grift, you know, grist for the mill and to be churned up and for them to be kind of the sacrificial lambs because they have no power and to, it's nice to say are eventually celebrated, but much like Monica Lewinsky, like their lives have been completely and irrevocably destroyed by a thing and they're they're being forced into the role of 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 being the victim of that so very complicated and and very like we kind of keep saying human i guess but onward and upward and if we don't recognize that then we will never learn learn from our mistakes and and continue to do them so Indeed. The end. We Indeed. don't have, I guess we don't have a water skiing squirrel story for the end of this, I guess. <laughs> we could read the, the story from last time about the Repu- Republican lawmaker or swinger guy. <laughs> How's he doing? <laughs> How's he doing? He's still in the race. He is oh, refusing yeah. to back down. So go that guy, I guess. You stand your ground. Um, yeah. Any Anything coming up that you would like the world to know about? No. <laughs> all right with that i don't know what will what will take us out with but maybe i'll take us out with 4k brown note <laughs> perfect all right thanks everyone for listening check out fun employment radio um and uh next week we will be doing portland at the movies with special guest uh aaron duran from geek in the city oh, nice. uh, uh um uh, also on the fun employment network and we will be finally reviewing um what what is the name of that movie? I can't, oh, Bandits, which oh, nice. has been oft oft questioned about because I think a lot of people remember that movie being made with Billy Bob Thornton and Bruce Willis. So Bandits will be next week on Portland at the Movies. Do tune into that. Uh, other Fun. than that, here's here's the brown note. Goodbye. All right, bye bye. <laughs>